Welcome to Eat This Scroll, a University Fellowship Church podcast. My name is Chris Moore. We get together twice a week and discuss what we are chewing on in God's Word. This is part two of the Structure and Acts episode. Hopefully you guys have listened to part one. If you haven't, go check it out. It's up now. And we are going to continue along with Craig as we look at Acts. Okay. Do you know the term sine quo non? Craig, that's Latin. Yes, it is Nobody Latin. speaks Latin but you. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. It means without which it cannot be. Okay. So, for example, sometimes after dinner, I'm still hungry. And I'll say to Pam, hey, what are my chances of getting a PB&J? That is to see a peanut butter and jam sandwich. Sure. What is a sine quo non of a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? Bread, peanut butter, and jelly. If I if it doesn't have any peanut butter on it, is it a PB and J? No. Okay. It's a jelly sandwich. Nobody it's a jelly eats sandwich. That. Nobody eats jelly yeah. sandwich. You gotta have something to hold the jelly in place. Correct. Okay. All right. What is a sine quo non of the church, the body of Christ? I think that's a question. I think that's a question that not enough people think about, and I think it's critical. Right. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think our mindsets have a sense of rugged individualism that is part of our culture that, that does affect how we walk out the body of Christ. Huh? So, so what's a scene going on in the body of Christ? Unity. What? Come on. Is there sometimes disunity in the body of Christ? Sure, but not... Does it cease to be the body of Christ? No. Then it's not a scene going on. All right, fine. Not a PB&J if you uh, get rid of the peanut butter. Headship of Christ? What do you mean? I mean, what is the distinguishing mark? The body of Christ. I'll give you a hint. Okay. We just talked about it. <laughs> I ask you the questions, Craig. <laughs> you turn this around on me. What wasn't true in the Old Testament? The the well the distinction was present in the Old Testament. What distinction? The distinction between God's people and not God's people. The distinction be the distinction not a cultural basis, covenant relationship. Okay. The distinction between Israel and the rest of the world? How about let's let's phrase it this way? It's the same thing. The distinction between Jew and Gentile existed in the Old Testament does not exist now. Okay. So then the question is, when did that change happen? When did we go from Israel is God's special people in a relationship with Him that places them above all the nations on earth? Not my word, God's words. Okay. Sets them above all the nations of the earth. And now, a time when Paul says there's no distinction between Jew and Gentile. When did that change take place? Did it take place at Pentecost? Well, that was one of my two guesses, Craig. I know it was. Yeah. <laughs> and it was a guess. But then it you gave me an alternative, and, and I don't know which one you want to own. Mm. Okay. Now, now, wait a minute. You asked, what difference does it make that there's an outline of the book of Acts? 
what does our statistical analysis, I, do, I love saying that because it makes me sound like I care about so numbers. So smart. And I, I do not like numbers. <laughs> you got glasses on everything. The word statistics uh, makes me shake. Um, but, but what does that suggest about the first section of the book of Acts? How many Gentiles are there in the first eight chapters? Sure. Yeah. So the suggestion would be that up to the point of the, at least the transitional period that the gospel was still being preached to Jew and not to Gentile yet. You know, Jesus said first, first Israel and all, yes, you know, to the yes, ends of the earth. So there's, yes. there was this, uh, and who was to preach it? The disciples. And they are Jews. Jews. Right. And so remember, um, 10 men from all nations will take hold of the skirt of one Jew and say, do we not have that? In fact, played out when he tells the apostles, take the gospel out. It's Jews taking the gospel out. Right. And as a result of that, you've got 10 Gentiles grabbing a hold of their cloak saying, you've got God, take us to God. So, so how do we feel about Pentecost? How many Gentiles were there? None. None. I mean, not my estimation, the text says Jews from every nation. Okay. And uh, who did the preaching? The disciples. And and what did they preach? The gospel. What's the gospel? The good news of Jesus Christ. As? As the Messiah. If you read Peter's sermons in Acts 2 and Acts 3, what's his punchline? Jesus, whom you crucified, was the Messiah. So we see some clear call-outs to, to Jewish understandings of his Jewish identity. eschatology. Yeah. Messiah is going to come back. And if you will repent, Peter says in chapter 3, he will return and set up the times of refreshing that were spoken about by the prophets. Hmm? Israel's prophetic agenda. So he's pointing back. Yeah. Yeah. Who's the audience in Acts chapter 2? Jews. The nation Israel. Okay. Who's the audience in the third section of Acts? Gentiles primarily. And what's the message? The gospel. Jesus is the Savior. That is to say, the emphasis at Pentecost and in the uh, sermons that are preached in that first section, the first eight chapters, Jesus is your Messiah. You saw him as a heretic, as a blasphemer. We're telling you, no, he was your Messiah. Jewish. Paul's, does Paul say he's your Messiah? No, he's your Savior. So, we ask the question, when did the change happen from Israel as God's special people to there's no distinction between Jew and Gentile? And the answer is? The uh, chapters 9 to... 12 well not chapter two okay okay not not right okay okay so let's go with my second option the vision peter had of cornelius and went and visited them who was a gentile he was a faithful roman citizen isn't that an interesting experience first of all it, it when does that cornelius experience begin it doesn't begin at cornelius's house it begins back in joppa when peter's up on the roof and he has a vision of uh, a large cloth pulled pulled down from heaven with all the foods and God declaring that it was clean. 
lobster and bacon. Oh, bacon. Bacon, bacon, bacon. God is good. And God tells Peter, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter says what? He says, I can't. Because? It's unclean. And three times. I always assume the sheet came down three times. The text doesn't say that. It just says three times God said, rise. It may have been down one time. And we don't know. It, okay. I, I think it's Paul, Peter's just, he's kind of a dense guy. Well, well three is the number. God's like, I got to say it all three times or it's not going to stick with this one. But bless Peter's heart. He's being faithful to what he's been taught. Right. Okay. While he's up there doing that, knock at the front door and who's at the front door? Emissaries, servants, and a soldier from Cornelius's house saying, we've been sent to get you and take you back to Cornelius' house. Cornelius is a... Roman citizen. Gentile. Gentile. The, the uh, word used several times in the book of Acts is God-fearer. The Greek word is God-fearer, and it refers to someone who is a Gentile who does not become a proselyte, but associates with the synagogue. Interesting. And the reason they did that is because these were men who had a moral sensitivity realized the bankruptcy of all things uh, cultural and were looking for something, some spiritual, they had a spiritual hunger and they found that they found something at the synagogue that resonated with them and they hadn't taken the step of becoming proselytes. They were called, the, the term was God-fearer. And so Cornelius is a Gentile who is a God-fearer. And so the three guys say, um, we've been sent by our boss to take, now, should Peter go? The answer is no. Why shouldn't he go? Because Cornelius is a Gentile. He has no business being there. And he's still in Jewish brain mode. He's Jewish brain mode. So he goes there and he goes in and he preaches the gospel. And what happens as he preaches the gospel? Very clearly, Cornelius and everybody there. Cornelius has got all his cousins and aunts and uncles there. And they all get saved. They hear the gospel and they get saved. And receive the Holy Spirit. And Peter says, his words here are powerful. Now I realize how true it is that God is no respecter of persons. Could Peter have said that 10 years ago? No, I mean, their national identity was built on the opposite of that. Could that have been said back at at Mount Sinai? No. God is no respecter of persons. Not no. not in not in this way because yeah. he's talking about nationality, yeah. not about hierarchy. Exactly right. So he he watches Peter and his whole household and his family members get saved, and he's totally jazzed about that. And so he goes back to Jerusalem. When he gets back to Jerusalem, what does Luke tell us happened? They got all up in his face. the The leaders of the church and what are you doing? We heard. You were in the house of a Gentile. You should not have been there. And so Peter gives them the whole account. He replays the whole thing. The sheet vision, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And then going into the house and watching them get saved and saying, now it, things have changed. And they go, oh, okay. And to their great credit, they accept Peter's experience as authoritative and now normative. What a radical moment that had to have been. Because that... They just, in one moment, yes, flipped a switch, you know, that God had to tell Peter three times and over the course of the travel time or whatever, you know, 
Plus, plus the plus, he was not convinced until he saw the Holy Spirit fall on Cornelius. Now I realize how true it is. Yeah, and you're right. These guys, um, yeah, good on you guys. Now, clearly, the Holy Spirit was at work. But now let's go back to the to the whole book of Acts. And where is this Cornelius experience? Smack dab in the middle of that transition. What did Luke want? Um, what's his name? A Theophilus to see how the gospel has the gospel has not changed, but the environment into which the gospel is going has changed. The book of Acts is absolutely critical to us being here. It shows how we got from an Old Testament where Jews are God's people, and if you want any part of blessing in God's people, you have to become one of those people, to now I can be a Scandinavian Scotsman, and it makes no difference at all. And Acts is how we got from A to B. And that's what Luke wanted Theophilus to see. So, let's bring this down to today. Because this is all fascinating. And there's a saying, I think Sean was the first one who said it that I heard of. And he said something to the effect of, you know, better theology produces better worship. Yes. Right. Good theology produces good worship. So if we're to take this information and go, okay, what's the merit here should produce better worship. So if we were to try and apply this understanding of what Luke was trying to accomplish, Theophilus, looking at the overarching events of Acts, what impact should that have on someone's life and their day-to-day, their their mindset? I'm going to give you one implication. There are others, but I'm going to give you one. If Acts 2 was the beginning of the church, the body of Christ, if Acts 2 is the point in time where we go from A to B, then what happened at Acts 2 is, or reasonably can be said to be normative. If that's the beginning, the beginning is normative. And what happened at the beginning is normative. What happened at Acts 2? That's Pentecost. What's the miracle of Pentecost? Tongues. Tongues. Okay. Is that normative? Or. Craig, you're going to get us in trouble. I know I am. Yeah. But listen, you're the one that put the nickel in this slot. <laughs> you can't blame me. Uh-huh. But, but you see what happens here is if tongues are spoken at Pentecost, and if Pentecost is the beginning of the change, then tongues are normative. That is to say, Pentecost was happens within the context of God's dealing with Israel. And in fact, what does Peter say when he's explaining? They say, oh, these guys are drunk. And he's saying, no, they're not drunk. It's only nine in the morning. This is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. What does that tie this experience to? To the Old Testament and to Israel. Amen and amen. I don't make them up. I just report them. The thing that is, that is the new norm, the new normal, is I now realize that God is no respecter of persons. We said, could that have been said at Sinai? No. Could it have been said in the book of Joel? No. Could it have been said at Pentecost? This is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. No, it's part of that continuing agenda. So when I read the book of Acts, I am reading the transition from what was to what is. 
and that instructs me as I look at that there, there's a whole range of implications of that. Um, but when I look at what is normative for the church, the body of Christ, I should look at that second big section in the book of Acts. When I look at what's normative for the local church, I'm going to look at the local church as it exists in that second section. As Paul went around and established local churches in all these cities and how he set them up and how they're structured and so forth. That's where I'm going to look for all of that because the change has taken place. Interesting. So by your account, you wouldn't look to Acts 2.42 as the normative structure of a church necessarily? Correct. Okay. So do we see any account of what a church assembly should look like post transition time? Okay. In the book of Acts, not so much because that's not the goal of the book of Acts, but I look at the epistles and that's where I find out what's normative. That's the teaching for how the local church is structured and functions and its goals and objectives and ministries. It's the epistles which are all post-transition period. Yeah. So that's a landmark there that you would say marks the change from God dealing with Israel to God dealing with all of his people. Now, that, now here's a question. Can we narrow it down any further? That is to say, was the point in time Peter's Cornelius experience? Why? Why? It's an interesting way Peter puts it, I now realize how true it is. It's almost like he's heard this before, but, but, but couldn't take it in. Yeah, he's understanding, but this is not the first time he's, he's been faced with it. Yeah. yeah, I now realize how true it is. Like, I heard this before and didn't buy it. Now, I've had an experience that confirms that God has shown me, yeah, that re- well, that's for another time. Oh, Craig. We haven't got time today. Okay, so is there something um, is there something practical and application you can pull? We talked about how to read and understand the Bible and, and to some degree started dabbling in why that's important because as we look for these pieces of structure, they can inform narratively, oh, here's a transition period. Here's the beginning that sets the stage. Here's the end. These are the results of that transition period. Okay, if you're talking about what difference does it make on a Monday, I'm going to say probably not. But if I'm going to talk about the difference it makes on what is missions and how should missions be done, if I'm going to talk about how should the church be structured, if I'm going to talk about um, how should the church multiply and divide and, and. So, nah, it's not going to make any difference to Monday. I'll give you another one. There is absolutely no place in the Christian's experience for anti-Semitism. I mean, it, it, it offends. Paul says um, in Romans 9, I could wish myself accursed for the sake of Israel. Um, and so there's no place for anti-Semitism. There's no place for racism. Um, Jew and Gentile, bond or free, male, there's no place for any of that stuff. Now, that, that is something that has its roots in the book of Acts and its outline, but finds more clear statement in the epistle. Gotcha. Yeah. Good. Wow. Yeah. What a dive. 
Craig. Sorry. Making waves. No, this is great. Thank you for coming on. We will have you again soon to take another deep dive into something esoteric, I'm sure. And we'll see you next time. Next door. Well, thanks for listening. Thank you to our guests for coming and sharing what they've been chewing on in God's Word. We produce these podcasts and release them twice a week. So please subscribe so you don't miss out on one. And don't forget, love God, love your neighbor, and make disciples.